Jim, should we come, John? Um, I was in a gathering of Baptist pastors where we were talking about lockdown. Funny that we were talking about that. And uh, John was there and recognised that John's been... Actually, you've been a pastor of Timaru Baptist for a whole heap of years? Yeah, Wilson Street Baptist. Wilson Street Baptist, sorry, got it wrong. And you went through a rebuild and survived it? Uh, the, the rebuild. You didn't... Did you? No? What? Okay, ignore that. <laughs> Okay, and I clearly have got this entirely wrong. Um, nonetheless, um, John, you've been working with Transend for a while? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I figured we've been, focus we've been focusing on this kind of stuff, so why not hear it from uh, the, not the horse's mouth, but a mouth who knows it at the coalface? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, great to have you here. Just thought I'd give you a softer intro, and clearly I got it wrong. <clears throat> no, 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 you did well. <laughs> it was really good. Uh, th does Colin normally speak from here, or like down there? Yeah, Anywhere I like. Oh, wow. Well, if you, if you come too far forward, you can fall back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, it's great to be here uh, and to just meet with you and share with you and worship with you. And uh, thank you for the, uh, what I, yeah, that welcome, Colin. I, uh, where are we going? Okay. So what happened was, as Colin was saying, was that I was at this meeting. And the reason I was at this meeting was that back last year, Helen and I, we, we booked some flights from Kolkata where we'd been working uh, with Freeset and Transend and NZBMS. And the idea was to come back to New Zealand for three weeks to, uh, for a family event. And uh, things like that. So we're back in New Zealand about 10 days and all of a sudden we get this information that India had closed its borders. And that then about a few days later that New Zealand also was doing similar and that uh, there was lockdown four and then three and two and then one and then we're now we're back to two. And, and so what we've, what's happened is that we've just had to hang around. And we've had this opportunity, this privilege, to visit a number of churches like, and like being here today as a result. Uh, so that, that's how come we're here and not back there. Uh, so as Colin was saying, we've been working with NZBMS for a, and we've been doing that for about four years. NZBMS, uh, as you probably know, works in places like uh, Bangladesh and Thailand and also in um, East Asia. Uh, and West Bengal, that's the, one of the states of India, as well as Tripura, which is another state in India. And we've been working in some of those places for quite some time and some places more recently. And in West Bengal, and particularly the city of Kolkata, we've set up what we call freedom businesses. So they're businesses that employ particularly women who've come from the sex trade, and we've sought to give them uh, a new kind of job with dignity and to uh, help them through to bring healing not only from the inside but a, a, a change of life on the outside as well. And in that process, share something of Jesus. And so there are about um, 
Uh, there's uh, businesses like, as I mentioned earlier, like Freeset, but there's also one called The Loyal Workshop, where Paul and Sarah Beasley set up the business not far from where we are. There's another one even closer to us that uh, originally Peter and Leonora, but now Priya Mishra runs, called Love Kolkata Arts. And then um, in Tripura, we work alongside a church group known as the Tripura Baptist Christian Union and we're seeking to encourage their leadership training, their community development and we also do things like um, student sponsorship as well. So let's pray and then what we'll do is we'll share some things and look at some scripture uh, in that together. Father, as we're, we're here today, We're mindful that we're in unusual times. But at the same time, Lord, we say you're the God who speaks. You're the God who reveals himself. You're the God who makes himself known. And you've done so throughout history in amazing ways. Incredibly powerful events have happened as you've made yourself known. And Father, in this space and time, Father, we're grateful that the Spirit of God is present. We've sought to celebrate the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and his glory and his majesty, his holiness. And we want to partner with you with what you're doing, not just in Parklands and Christchurch and Canterbury and New Zealand, but with what you're doing in and around various places of the world. Because we believe, Lord, you're still at work. And so, Father, just help us as we think about some things today, share some things today, respond to you, help us in our open hearts to you, because you're a good God. You're a good God, and you're with us today. Thank you for that, in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that we've been doing within Transend for quite some years uh, is working cross-culturally. So what that is, is that we go from our own cultural setting to a different cultural setting. So when we think about culture, we think about the way people see life, the way people value this as opposed to that, the way the kind of diet, the, the, the culture of a place has particular food habits and particular uh, preferences around colour, uh, styles of dress. Uh, like if, if I was to put a, a man in front of you uh, with a sort of like a woolly hat and a, a great big uh, sort of woolly uh, leather uh, fur skin clothing on, you might, and he was sort of looking like this, and he was a, you might say, oh, that, that person's from maybe somewhere around the northern parts of Canada, and maybe they're from the Inuit people. But if I presented before you a person with dark skin, tall, and with um, um, minimal clothing and a spear in his hand and a bit of cattle around him, you might say, well, he's from the Maasai people in Kenya. 
He, he thinks differently to the guy who lives in the northern part of Canada. He eats different food. He, he has a different way of life. He, he, eat, he lives in a different kind of home to what you would live, say, in the northern part of Canada because it's temperatures and things like that. And so what we, what we can say is that this person, their, their, their way of life, their, their setting, we give that word uh, culture, we call that the culture of that particular people group as opposed to the, the way of life and the culture of that particular people group over there. And so what we've been about over the years is saying, okay, we go from the, the culture of New Zealand to a different place, a different people, to a different culture. And at one time, like when I was growing up and when I was at school, we kind of might have said that in, um, in that town uh, that we were sort of like monocultural. Like nearly everyone in my class at school looked like same colours, like we had the same ideas, we had similar tastes in food, we had similar tastes in, in a whole bunch of things. And then, like, like years later, like... You can go to various parts of New Zealand and you can look in a classroom and people have come from different countries and their, their students are in that class and they've got different tastes in food, different ideas about entertainment, different ideas about the future and, and family and how you relate to your parents or how you don't relate to your parents. And so what, we, what we've been doing is saying, okay, we, we go from this culture of New Zealand and we go to another part of the world. Cross-cultural relationships happen all the time. Uh, if any of you have been on your OE and you've landed in London or if you've landed in uh, Frankfurt or if you've landed in uh, uh, Hanoi, wherever it is, you, you, you all of a sudden realise, hey, I'm in a different place where people think differently, act differently and I've got to get my head around how things function here. And so this thing with cross-cultural work has the potential for some really good things to happen. At the same time, it has the potential for some really messy things to happen, some mistakes. It's almost like if you step into the world of cross-cultural work, at some point you're going to offend someone. At some point you're going to do something, say something, that they're going to go, ooh, I didn't like the sound of that. You see, for example, in the West, we're very individualistic. So if I say to you, if I say to these young guys sitting down the front seat here, I say, oh, what are you doing you know, for a career? Like, are you going to choose who you're going to marry? All right, let me ask this question. Would you allow your father to choose who you will marry? <laughs> ask your father. <laughs> Dad? Okay. I was standing in Agatala one day and I said to a friend of mine, uh, how's things going? And he said to me, we've found a bride for... Uh, my brother. That family chose their son's wife and it happened within a matter of weeks and they're still married, have two children happily today. 
All right? So it's, it's a different kind of dynamic in different places. And at some point, uh, you know, it, it doesn't always work out that well. It can go badly. So when we first arrived in Agatala, because we went as a family to uh, Tripura back in the year about 1999, and we turned up at church. And we did what you do when you turn up at church. We sat down together as a family, mum and dad and three kids. Our eldest at that time, who was Robin, whom you've met and who's now married and has three kids herself and has done something similar, uh, gone off and served in other places. Uh, at that time she was 13 and our youngest was about was seven. Who Also that youngest one who was seven who bought some of your masks the other day, by the way. So we went and sat down. And then we kind of look around and then it occurred to me, oops, the men sit on that side and the women sit on this side and we're sitting on the ladies' side. Later on, as I got to know one of the leaders of that uh, church, um, he uh, met me down the track one day and he put out his hand to shake my hand. Now, in New Zealand, when you shake hands, you guys are accustomed to shaking hands, eh? So let's, let's show everyone how you shake hands. You can do it, all right? G'day. All right, pleased to meet you. All right, how long is a shake worth? A millisecond, right? Now, I won't practice this on you guys because I don't want to embarrass you, but he basically held my hand like this. And I'm thinking, John, don't worry about this. I think this is normal in my brain. And he's smiling and he's talking to me and he's still holding my hand. And then after some time, let go. What he was doing was showing friendship to me. Just like Colin and I were doing before, we were kind of being like friends rather than co-pastors. We were sort of, sort of having a bit of banter going on there, but... It was, he was showing friendship to me. And if I'd sort of pulled away and said, oh, no, don't like that. We only shake hands for a millisecond. I would have ruined them something. He was expressing to me a relationship in a way that is, is different. So that kind of thing happens uh, in the East as opposed to the way we do things in the West. Where... Uh, our individualism doesn't always allow for that. Uh, in June of last year, I became a director of the Freeset company that was set up to give women caught in prostitution uh, a new job, as I mentioned before. And this company was set up in around about uh, 2002. Right? Yeah, 2002. And over that time, we've been able to see quite a number of women who'd come out of the red light district. We, we live near a red light district that has something like 10,000 women involved. And we've been able to see uh, some come out of that and some come and a portion of those come to Jesus. And then... Last year, we began to realise that the finances for this company were 
like not good. This is just not good. People who were doing the numbers were telling people like myself uh, that, and so further up the, the decision-making chain above me, a decision was made that we would need to close one of our factories further north in a village where we had set up a work and where they were doing things like sewing and things like that. These women come from basically a, a context of poverty. And what's more, it was unusual for women from that community to be given work in that kind of situation. So long story short, another colleague of mine and Helen and myself, we went to this place and we had to break the news to them that we were closing the factory. And we didn't know kind of what was going to happen. We'd been told various things of what could happen from extreme violence to just being stunned and so on in that situation. It was a day when you think, I didn't come for this. I didn't come out here to, to do this kind of thing. And thankfully, my colleague was able to speak better language than myself. Helen is better at the local language than I am. And there was a point when I had to shed tears. There was a point when I had to, you know, visibly show just how upset I was. And there were people who said to me, it's okay for you, John, you can go back home, you, you, you've got a job, and da-da-da. The, the, the level of pain was deep. The crazy thing is that there would be people in that community who would be happy that we would close the factory down because the idea of women coming and being given a job like that and being paid good rates and being given skills and, and being trained was a little bit foreign to that whole situation the good thing is now further on down the track Freeset has been able to keep the manager in that place, we've paid for the manager to stay on and now a cooperative is beginning to emerge of local people uh, making local products so what, what I'm saying is that you know we we hear the, the Lord saying, go. And what we hear is, and then we step into a context where there's different rules, different ways of doing things. And we seek to bring the culture, as it were, be, be servants of the culture of heaven into the culture of a village that is struggling with poverty. And we've had to come to terms with the fact that it doesn't always go well. And yet out of it, I believe something good will happen. One of the other things that can happen sometimes, we've you know, had this desire to work with the poor. And, and, and part, of me, <laughs> part of me kind of goes, yes. Let's work with the poor. Jesus walked among the poor. 
blind Bartimaeus was probably poor. The person who was beside the, 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 the pool of a setter was most likely poor. Many of the miracles that we've seen were among the poor in the scriptures and the gospels. And what we began to discover or learn and realise was that when we stepped into their world and, and tried to, to do something that was redemptive, tried to do something that was good, tried to like bring in hope into the women's lives, we realised that as we grew this thing, uh, and I say we in the collective sense, it wasn't, I wasn't always there at that time, but we we, we realised that we had to sort of start paying things like a superannuation fund and had to start paying um, uh, medical insurance. And as you do so, you've got to increase the n- amount of paperwork that you do. So if you're working with a woman, a woman who, when they grew up, they didn't go to school, they didn't learn to read and write, they didn't uh, understand what, the date of their birth, they didn't necessarily even know how to spell their name. And so when they would go to this official and say, oh, hello, um, my name's Prayer, or, or Parvati. And how, okay, so they write down the name, and when were you born? Oh, so they, they write down some date, and you get a form made, and then you go to another official about another document, and you've got to kind of go, and they say, oh, what's your name? And you tell them, you know, they, so they say their name, and when were you born? And they, they may not write down the same date or remember the same date that they put here, so they give, they give a date, and then who's, who's this and who, who's that, and you write down various things. And they can't tell if they've given, the official has written down all the details correctly. And so what happens then is when, when we come to sort things out for these women, We've got a different forms with different details and the, the guys say, hey, we can't pay out their superannuation because this form says they were born on this date and this form says they were born on this date and this form says their name is spelt this way and this form says their name was spelt that way. That can't be the same person. And when you're in a country of over 1,000 million people, you're highly likely that you could all have the same surname. And it's highly likely that he even might not only have the same surname, but have the same Christian name. And the way to distinguish is to make sure that you have your correct birthday or that you're the son of so-and-so, because that's going to be different. Like This is different, eh? Like This is not like New Zealand. And so when churches of New Zealand have sent out people to go and work in different cultures, this is some of the practical nitty-gritty stuff that you kind of get involved with and you think, hey, we sent them out to make disciples and to tell people about Jesus and you discover that the stuff you've got to deal with if we are to bring hope and a sense of purpose into people's lives. And some of our staff have spent hours and hours and gone to this office and this office sorting out all these documents. I got sent a form just recently by one of our staff. I had to sign it. Because a person, one of our guys, he, he left our, our company and he went to apply for his superannuation and they looked at his forms and they discovered, hey, you've got this form, your father's name spelt is Ashok, oh, A-S-H-O-K. But on this form you say your father's name is Ashok, A-S-H-O-K-E. It was just one letter. They wouldn't pay it out. So I had to sign a form to make sure that he got his money. So this is the kind of thing that we 
are wrestling with from time to time. And yet in it all, God is at work. In it all, people are being encouraged and discovering and praying and worshipping. And and things, lives are being changed in different kind of ways. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, uh, if you turn, if you've got a Bible, Bible on your phone, or if you've got um, a Bible you can read, you'll see there in verse 16 that Jesus went to Nazareth after he had been baptized and filled with the Spirit. The power of the Spirit had been upon him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So here's Jesus speaking into a room where it's a synagogue. There, there are men and Jewish men and women from that community who've been hearing these scriptures for decades, hundreds of years. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one. I'm the Messiah who's come. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is upon me to, and has anointed, equipped, and empowered me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind. What he's quoting from is a particular reference in Isaiah verse 61, and in it he slips in a verse from Isaiah 58 and verse 6. And then he rolls up the scroll, in verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the tent and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying, sorry, he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words with which that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. And Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And then notice what happens now. Uh, Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Seraphath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The stories of Elijah and Elisha. Elisha, sorry, Elijah, who is led by the Lord to a particular town where a widow is living and supernaturally provision happens. Naaman, this Syrian uh, commander from the army who has leprosy, comes to Israel and is healed. 
His skin is healed, like fresh, new, no dimples, no pimples, nothing's kind of skin. Amazing stories. And then as the people hear what Jesus is saying, all the people of the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the town in which the hill of the town in which was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Remember what we've been talking about in terms of culture. What Jesus is saying, he's, see, Jesus is Jewish, right? And he's with, his, with people who are Jewish. They understand each other. They understand the scriptures that they've just been talking about. After the synagogue time, they will go and, go and eat the same kind of food and they will live in the same village and they will talk about similar things and they will have similar values and they have a similar heritage and similar way of thinking. And what Jesus is saying to them is that God blessed the people of this culture over here. A man and a woman. See, what Luke does is he brings in the story of a woman who has a, a, an encounter with God. Not from that culture, but from this culture. And then what Jesus then refers to a man, not from this culture, but from that culture who is healed powerfully by the Lord. And the people are furious because they live and breathe and work and, and eat in a place, in a society where they are like exclusive. If you know the story of the book of Acts and read on the book of Acts, Peter talks to the Lord about, Lord, you know I've never eaten what those people eat. I've never done what those people do. And somehow, for some reason, in the context of Jesus saying, I am the Messiah, he refers to people who are over here in this culture who are blessed. That's the first sermon that Jesus gives. And then... What happens in Jesus' last word, so to speak, Matthew chapter 28. He's meeting with his 11 disciples. They go to Galilee and they went up the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some troubled. And when, then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore... As you are going, the verb there is not a command. It's, it's like, as you are going, make disciples of all ethnic groups. The word there is ethne, from which we get our word ethnic. And what Jesus is saying to these 11 Jewish men standing there. Jesus is a Jew himself. Jesus speaking to people, they, when they look at Jesus, they say, looks like us, talks like us, eats like we do, has similar ideas about fun times and how to, how to go about things as we do. And all of a sudden, he, Jesus is saying, go and make disciples of these people over here and these people over here and these people over here who talk differently, speak differently, 
eat different kind of foods, behave differently. And if you've happened to read through the ongoing story of what happens to those 11 disciples and, and you, you'll discover that as the book of Acts unfolds in chapter 1, Jesus is still there. He ascends to heaven. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and powers. A whole bunch of people get saved and get baptized. Chapter 3 talks about whole different things that's sort of going on and, and Peter and John and that they're, they're healing this one and that one. And chapter 4 and chapter 5 and then chapter 6, I think there's the appointment of the seven um, uh, uh, deacons and so on that the people are serving chapter 7 Stephen gets martyred chapter 8 it goes on it's not until about chapter 9 that Peter has this encounter with a person who is not from his Jewish background and the Lord comes upon people who are not from that Jewish background By nature as people, we are reluctant to leave our own cultural context, our own cultural setting. And yet as a nation, we're becoming more multicultural, bicultural. And the Spirit of God as we read the biblical story is calling his people to be a light to the cultural groups of the world. Matthew 28 is like a recommissioning of Exodus 19. where the Lord is saying, go and bless the nations. Go and bless people of different cultural backgrounds. Well, you may say, well, hang on, John, I've got a job here. I, can't, I just can't go and head off to Kenya or the northern parts of Canada to work with the Inuit people. I've got responsibilities here. But let's think about it like this. What if we were to be recipients of the culture of heaven into our home? the values of the culture of heaven, the, the ways of thinking of the culture of heaven, the ways of doing things, the language of the culture of heaven. And then what if we were to see our neighbour as in a different, coming from a different cultural background, different value systems, different, as it were, aspirations in life, ambitions, and this person in the office who, who's recently come to New Zealand and who's trying to find their way and trying to get their head around what this Kiwi world is all about and trying to find how to go about this and go about that. And what if we were to say, Lord, I'm willing to be a blessing 
to the people in the community who are of different cultural backgrounds or different ways of talking, different ways of doing things. And what if I was to respect them and that person, that lady in the office or that, 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 that person in my class at school or that person in my rugby team who's trying to get things figured out, if I were to say, hey, I choose to befriend, I choose to listen, I choose to show interest, I choose to try and pronounce your name properly, I choose to get my some insight as to where you have come from, what's important to you, and in so doing, build relationship. You see, in the New Zealand setting, we value time more than relationships. If I was late because I met an uncle along the way or I met an important person in my world along the way and I stopped to spend time and give due respect and I turned up here late, you would not be so happy. But in the, in those who've come from Eastern cultures and Eastern backgrounds, relationships are more important than time. They choose to respect you, and, and particularly if you're older. So it's all these kind of things that, that can help us to connect with the community in which we live, and in so doing, express something of what Jesus brought about. Jesus stepped into our culture. He walked with us. He taught us. He demonstrated the culture of heaven with power and with wisdom and with compassion and with mercy. And people's lives were changed. But then the culture of the temple period of that time and the culture of the Romans who didn't like some guy going around saying they are the Messiah, they took him and they crucified him on a cross. But God showed that the culture of heaven is more powerful and more dynamic and more life-giving and he raised his son from the dead and then the spirit come because there's something coming that's far better than the culture of humankind and its brokenness and its mess. There's something coming that's beautiful, that's life-giving, that's hopeful, that's eternal, that's healing. There's no more death, there's no more dying, there's no more tears, there's no more injustice, there's no more poverty. It's coming. And I want to be a part of that. I believe you do too. And don't you want your neighbour to be a part of it? Don't you want the people of Parklands to be a part of a coming kingdom where its culture is so good you wouldn't want to miss out on it? And along the way, as we seek to share with people, yes, we will make mistakes. And yes, there will be some pain. And yes, there will be times when we want to give up and go home. But there will be people who will be a part of it, of what's coming. Because you stepped next door or you befriended a person in your class who come recently from some other nation in the world and they responded to your love. There will be people in the the coming picture of the kingdom because you've had courage to step out of your own culture into someone else's. Believing, just as Jesus said to the eleven, I 
will be with you. He is with you, Parklands Baptist Church. He is with you. Amen. What I thought I'd do is I'd uh, like to pray for you and Helen, but actually kind of for all of us, and then we're going to, can we have that benediction at the end? We've got a practice of saying a benediction to people. If you stand up over here, you can see it. Helen can see it from there, if you're right with that. We just want to pray for a blessing on John and Helen and for all who go out crossing borders, crossing cultures, serving men and women from cultures different to their own, battling bureaucracy, holding handshakes uncomfortably long, working with people on the bottom of the pile, giving agency to others, looking for Jesus in surprising places and finding the God that went out before them. Bless them and bless us as we do the same as we seek to welcome others with the same heart that you welcome us. Bless us all. Amen. Amen. And we've got this blessing. And no tea or coffee. Although I, I just side things. We have a bit of a missions lunch um, for people who'd signed up and Linda tells me there's some more spaces. Is that correct? So if you're interested, talk to Linda. Um, yep, holding up a thumb. Um, could we um, read this together? Remember we're saying this to each other. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing with the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen. Do you have a chance to chat with people? Remember, we're still, I, I couldn't make my last glass the whole time.